Welcome to Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we talk about items of interest to the small business community. Today, I'm here talking with a longtime customer of the bank and a, a global company involved in the construction trade, and that's Bond Tool Company, right here in uh, headquartered in the North Hills of Pittsburgh, fairly close to the bank. With me today is John Bongiovanni, who is the pre- current president of Bond Tool Company. John, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming and participating. So, you know, I always like the best story start at the beginning. So give us a little history of, uh, well, let's let's talk about what Bond Tool is first, what you guys do, and we'll get into some history. Sure. So um, Bond Tool Company, we're a um, manufacturer of construction tools and equipment, primarily for the trial trades. Um, what we produce is not necessarily for the DIY market. A lot of specialty niche type products. Um, and by trial trades, we refer to masonry, concrete, floor coverings, you know, whether it's tile or carpet, um, drywall, stucco, plastering. And then it, from there, it'll get into some general construction, some landscape, hardscape type items, um, conventional type construction, asphalt. Um, in total, we have about 8,000 different SKUs, um, and it ranges across all those trades. But the, the primarily, it's focused on hand tools, right? Right. These are non-powered hand tools primarily. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. So you're third generation yes. business owner of Bond Tools. So can you give us a little background on how the company got started and, and sure. the first two generations? Yeah, so we'll start with the first generation. Uh, my grandfather, Carl Bongiovanni, he um, he and his brother um, got together to start a company called Masonry Specialty Company. Um, my grandfather was working for the family business at the time, which was a beer pop ice distributor. Um, and, uh, he was growing pretty sick and tired of it. His brother, older brother, 10 years older was a Mason, had a pretty successful masonry company and he had a few inventions, um, some patents, but he didn't really have the time to devote towards, um, developing those products, making them, et cetera, et cetera. So he, um, when my grandfather got out of the beer and pop, um, business, he, uh, took over the manufacturer distribution and marketing of those products. Um, good to have a brother with a lot of Masons right, <laughs> that he could right. sell it to and also made a lot of introductions to him, a lot of different companies. So um, my grandfather really took that, built upon it, um, started introducing other products, other um, accessories to go along with that and really developed it as a, like I said, masonry specialty was a good name because we were using a lot of specialty products for the masonry industry. So what year was this the company was uh, started? 1958 is when we incorporated. Wow. So, yeah. 60 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And um, then um, my father took over the company. He started working there in about 19, he graduated college in 1979, about 1980 or so. He was working full time. Um, in the early 90s, he took over as president of the company. And somewhere in that range between 1980 and 1990, they morphed the masonry specialty company into Bond Tool. Um, at the time, we were, had already started getting into other markets. So in addition to masonry, there was concrete, plaster, et cetera. And he didn't think that masonry specialty was really fitting for the company name. So they turned it into Bond Tool Company. Nice name, Bond Italian, good. So <laughs> it fit really well. And um, then my father really grew the company quite a lot um, during his tenure. Um, built a couple different buildings, um, opened up a West Coast distribution center, grew the product catalog um, rather to where it is today for 
you know, all intents and purposes. And um, he uh, unfortunately had an untimely passing in 2017, January 2017. At that time, I had been working for 10 years as a full-time employee. Um, grew up working there as a not-so-full-time employee. Right. <laughs> he, um, I was the vice president of sales and marketing. I think that was always our plan for me to take over at some point. Um, but obviously, it was fast-forwarded quite a bit. Got thrown into it, and uh, you know, it's it's been you know, knock on wood, we've we've been continuing to grow. Um, you know, right or wrong, I kind of try to remind myself like I'm running a company now that is bigger than the one my dad ever ran, so I have to keep that in perspective. And it comes with its own set of challenges, but like I said, it's been uh, continuing to grow and continuing to do well. So, is the company been uh, in Gibsonia for the entire duration of its history? Or? Uh, most of it, at okay. least my entire knowledge of it. Um, but no, we uh, our first building in Gibsonia was sometime in the mid to late seventies. I want to say like seventy seven, seventy eight. Um, the twenty or so years before that, um, they were in Lower Borough and New Kensington. That's um, where so I just, live. Actually. Oh, is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, it was just a uh, garage that my grandfather rented out. Um, you know, like a, a detached garage that someone had. And uh, he had some welding equipment, things like that in there. Um, and then over time, you know, we went to a little bigger yeah. space. And then from there, the building that um, we, we still refer to as Building One. On I was going to say, you campus. have a, pretty much a campus. <clears throat> right. Yep. So we have um, Building One, which is our original one on this site. Um, building Two, which is um, the original part of that building, plus the addition that was put onto it. Building Three, which is our main distribution center and offices now. And which we're looking at putting on addition on here in 2024 as well. So continuing to grow the campus. Some pretty large buildings because obviously you mentioned the number of SKUs you have and the level of inventory that you carry. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these are little products, which is nice. But, um, you know, all total, I don't know how many square feet we would be under roof here in Pennsylvania. Probably with the addition, it's going to be 250,000. 250,000 square feet, maybe with all in, in Nevada as well. So, mm-hmm. um, fair amount of square footage. Yeah. So, obviously, you grew up in the family business, but what was your educational background mm-hmm. on that before you, you got involved? Um, try to be a B student, get through as easy <laughs> as I could. <laughs> um, no, I went to, so I, you know, obviously grew up in the area. I went yeah. to Hampton High School, one of the local high schools, good school. That was great. From there, I went on to college. Um, four-year economics degree from a liberal arts school called Denison University outside mm-hmm. of Columbus, Ohio. And, um, but, uh, <laughs> I understand we, you got to do some world traveling too, which well, is kind of benefits the business, which we'll talk absolutely. about. Absolutely. And that, yeah. that was one thing I was saying. My dad used to always tell me, he's like, you know, you go get your undergrad. I'll give you your MBA. And, um, I spent a lot of time with him, whether it was in the boardroom at, at the office, just sitting in on meetings, whether it was attending business trips with them, both domestically and internationally. So I, you know, I didn't have much to contribute at that time, I feel yeah. like, but you were just kind of taking in just the conversation. And we like to talk about like the language of the business world, right? Right. And I got to be a part of that early on. So I got pretty fluent early. And then, you know, now it's time to start making decisions based on what you learn. So, right. So you ended up having to, you know, uh, take over the overall management of the business kind of abruptly in 2017. You have a good team, though, behind you. Absolutely. Some of your key people. Yeah, no, we've got quite a few key people. Um, Monica Stalski, I mean, she's almost at 30 years, I want to say, she's been there. Um, um, S- Steve Swanson, he's been there on and off in different types of capacities for 15, 20 years. Uh, Glenn Golden is our CFO. Um, he's approaching 20 years there. Sean Hellman, um, he's at almost 30 years, I want to say 28, 29 years. 
Um, and, and then so many other people, yeah. our customer service core, maybe they haven't been there as long, but 15 years at least for most of them, some of them 20 years. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what, what is the total headcount? How many employees do you have? Um, we've got about 75 FTEs. Okay. Um, now, there, you know, there's a few part-time people, right. a few different different types of schedules with different folks, but the, it works out to 70 or 75 FTEs. Okay. So you've got kind of a multi-tiered business model or distribution model. Can you talk a little bit about you do some direct to customer, you use distributors, mm-hmm. kind of how, how you get the product out? Yeah, we um, so big majority of our business is going to go on a shelf somewhere. Um, some type of specialty construction supply yard, like a brick and block supply yard or a drywall supply house. Could be a landscape supplier. Um, locally, some of the names that come to mind would be like George Wilson's or Knickerbocker or building products. Um, may not be the places that you shop every day as a, you know, homeowner or consumer but if you're in the contracting business these are names of companies you would go to pretty regularly um so those types of yards we definitely are our our core business and then um there's a few other like you say direct to consumer there's a couple different relationships and how we do that um so we do have like a website you can come onto our website place an order we'll ship it out no big deal but we also do a lot of back end for a lot of other companies. And this can be some of the big, big names, uh, as well as companies you've never heard of, but Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, mm-hmm. MSC, Zorro, which is owned by Granger. Um, you know, we'll do for each of these stores anywhere from, I'd say, like 60 to 100 orders a day for them. So if you're on HomeDepot.com, you find a bond tool item. Um, it's not coming off of a Home Depot shelf. It's coming out of our warehouse. Drop ship direct from Drop you. ship directly to them. I mean, you know, we don't. But it gets you that exposure to the oh, public. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I mean, Home Depot does 100 orders a day with us. So, you know, extrapolate that over the course of a year. I mean, it's, there's a lot of boxes that go out the door. You sell through Amazon? We do do with Amazon. We have a couple yeah. different relationships. I uh, love hate relationships with Amazon. <laughs> That's what I asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. Um, you know, I don't know how familiar everyone is with how Amazon goes to business, but you've got a 1P relationship. So that's like the, the they buy it every Monday. We ship it to their warehouse. We yeah. don't know who it goes to from there. Right. Um, that's what we want. That's great. If Amazon doesn't sell it, wants to throw it in the dumpster, I don't care. They still have to pay for it. Right. Then you got FBA, fulfilled by Amazon, um, which is what they're pushing a lot of their 1P partners towards. Um, and essentially what that means is you rent Amazon space. The rental fee is very low unless it goes without turning after 30 or 60 days and they kind of increase what your rent is so that you're incentivized to bring it back um, and not overstock them and then they take a little commission on what you've sold or the third one which they call 3p um, or fulfilled by merchant meaning that's um, a drop shipping that's like a drop ship yeah so okay. you go on you see it okay whatever and then we ship it straight out to that person um amazon makes their their cut and uh, you do all the legwork. So obviously, you know, from Amazon's point of view, there's, there's, <laughs> they're incentivized to not uh, stock up on the inventory, own the right. inventory, and have right. to deal with it. They want their uh, suppliers to carry all that weight. So um, that's why I say love-hate. I mean, it's still a big amount of volume, um, but we are seeing that dwindle as they become more difficult to do business with. Uh, and then, but we, there's workarounds. When we have right. a customer, one in particular in Minnesota, Every Monday, they place their orders with us, and they handle a myriad of different relationships with Amazon, and they fit our business model a little better. We're not kind of changing what we do to cater to a specific customer, so right. they, they fall into a category of customer at that size. They get their pricing, their terms, their dating, yeah. and it's just no, business is normal for us. Got it. So you mentioned a website. So 
What's the website address? Website, uh, www.bontool.com. That's okay. B-O-N-T-O-O-L. So, and is that amazing. a fully interactive site where customers can order? Yep. So okay. customer, uh, you can check out as a guest. You can become a frequent user, whatever you want to call that, and uh, have a login. You can track your orders. Um, so particularly with our dealers, um, you know, $1,000 would get them free shipping. They can build a shopping cart out there until they see that they've met their free um, freight minimum and then submit it. Gotcha. Um, but then they can also go in if they owe money on past invoices. They can go in and just put a credit card through the website yeah. and pay a past invoice. They can track their orders. Um, they can create um, like shopping lists, uh, favorites, whatever you want to call them, where it's, uh, okay, quick order here, yeah. put these in. Um, so they have, they have a number of different yeah. options on how they can interact with us on that website. Yeah. So I'm interested. You talked about catalogs, which used to be the way. Yeah. Is, is that still in this niche masonry type? Space is that still an important? Still important for okay. sure. Um, especially at some of our dealers. I mean, there's always a catalog on the desk. It's like a reference yeah, book, yeah. And, and not just ours. And right. however many right. different manufacturers' catalogs, um, and still even you know, our customer service or people in the inside sales. I mean, they're referencing their catalog quite a bit. But I think the difference is where you know, 20 years ago we might have printed 150, 200,000 catalogs. I think this year we printed 40,000. So I mean, it's quite a big difference in how many of these things we're mm -hmm. printing. Um, why not? I mean, the the, inter, the inf internet, the information out there, you can change it dynamically. We change it daily. We got videos to support it. We got our SDSs or tech bulletins out there for the products. You can build on the layers. You, you can't put all that in a catalog. Right, right. So I mentioned in the introduction here a few minutes ago that you guys are a global company. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk a little bit about the international side of Bond Toll. Yeah. But domestically, you guys nationwide, what areas do you cover? Yep, nationwide. Um, so we... Um, I mean, there's not a state we don't ship to every day, um, but uh, out of Pennsylvania, we cover about, well, depending on inventory and things like that, you could ship to any different state. That, that's obviously the case, but um, we have a warehouse outside of Las Vegas, Henderson, Nevada, what we kind of define as the 13 Western states, you know, Alaska, Hawaii, California, et cetera, et cetera, over to Colorado, essentially. We'd prefer to ship out of that warehouse just logistically. Um, cost of freight over the last. When did, when did you guys open a West Coast distribution? Um, 2007, right before the housing collapse okay. of 2008. Okay. We timed it perfectly. That business yeah. just tanked when we opened. So, <laughs> <laughs> but looking back, I mean, we would never would have traded in that decision. It's it's been a wonderful um, utility for us. Um, so that's that's been there for uh, you know what 20 years or whatever, and um, they uh, they'll they'll cover that part of the market, the, the West Coast side of the market. And then we'll cover the other 30, what, 37 states out of our, our Pittsburgh warehouse, or at least yeah. ideally. Um, but no, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, for us to ship to California out of Pittsburgh, um, when it's going LTL, I mean, if, if it's FedEx ground, it might be five days. But LTL, you're probably seven days out. Um, in our industry, it's been our experience, and I think most contractors could <laughs> approve of this statement. But um, when they need it, they, they need, need it yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> um, you know, shipping you know, to L.A., you know, seven days out of Pittsburgh versus right, one right. day out of Nevada is a huge time saver. Um, and, and I think we maybe wouldn't have some of that business out there if we didn't have something more readily available. Just, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately, some of our competitors are more centrally located. Yeah. They're able to disperse from the central parts of the state, so they cut it, you know, three, four days versus seven um, but no, like I said, we worked around that. It helps alleviate some of our congestion in our warehouse. They have a little bit of different hours, three yeah. hour time zone change. So it's uh, comforting to know when I go home at five, well, I don't go home at five when I go home at eight, <laughs> uh, when I go home in the evening, uh, you know, they still have a few more hours to go. Um, and they're still packing and processing orders and things are still going to be invoiced, uh, you know, following up the next day. So right. it gives us a little bigger window of shipping. And, you know, uh, 
as a locally based company here, though, as I said, you guys are global. So tell me mm-hmm. about the international markets, which which of those export markets you've <clears throat> developed and import markets because you get oh, some product from overseas, too. Yeah, yeah. We, we, like anyone, um, finished materials, more raw materials, um, sub-assemblies, you know, a lot of different parts, components coming from a lot of different countries. So we have product coming in from Austria, Germany, um, Slovenia, Italy, the UK, then also in, in Asia, whether it be Taiwan, China, Japan, um, uh, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India. So, you know, a number of different parts and components coming in from those places. But then we'll fabricate, we'll turn it around, and we export to quite a few different places too. So we've uh, Canada and Mexico have been very strong markets for us traditionally. Um, we do have a two sales rep agencies in Canada that cover all the provinces. And we also have a salesperson um, who covers our Latin American uh, market. He was in the industry before having to come to Pittsburgh for some different medical reasons for his children. Yeah, I read that story. Can you just yeah. give us a little quick snapshot of that. Yeah, so he, um, gentleman's name is Hugo uh, Martinez, and he uh, was here on an emergency medical visa. Um, his son had some heart condition in which the valves in his heart were not growing. So his son was actually born here, and um, they had to basically do open heart surgeries every. I mean, early on, I don't know, it was every six months or maybe yeah. less um, to replace the valves. Um, he's a young, healthy boy. I want to say he's about 11 years old now. You wouldn't know it any differently, um, but he still has to come here to Pittsburgh at times. So um, the downside to the medical visa is you are unable to have any kind of employment. Um, so he was able to transfer his visa from the medical visa to the um, H-1B visa. Um, we hired him for about three years as an employee at that time. And then, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't renewed. They're not oftentimes renewed after three yeah. years. He um, was working on getting his, um, you know, green card, his permanent alien yeah. residency. Um, and COVID hit, which put a damper on that, backlogged at about two years. But um, we're quite excited. Uh, February 22nd is he's already been conditionally approved to become a U.S. employee. And February 22nd is his meeting with the consulate in uh, yeah. Mexico City where they should put the visa in his passport and all that kind of right. stuff. So um, we expect sometime here in the spring he'll be moving back to Pittsburgh and being nice. full-time employed. Yeah. Nice. yeah, so we're looking forward to that. But I, I understand that you know you offer some of your marketing materials in Spanish through him and different Yeah, he'll, um, he'll do some translations, things like that. Yeah. And you know what, it, it, especially in our industry um, – there's a large Hispanic workforce. So even in the U S he has helped us communicate with some of our end users on technical support, things like that. You can put things into Google translate, but yeah. uh, like commonly used tools, a bull float. When you go into Google translate, it talks about like a floating bull. It does not talk about the tool. <laughs> so it doesn't always, you know, some of the lingo or terms, I guess, aren't exactly uh, compatible right. with a Google translate. So he's able to help navigate some of that for us. Neat. And then, and then in Europe too, we've got quite a good opportunities there. Um, we've we've partnered with a number of different companies um, in different um, parts of, of Europe. So in the UK in particular, and then one in um, Switzerland. Um, and we've got a few other companies in Italy, France, etc. Um, but some of these have actually licensed some of our IP. Yeah. So in Switzerland, we have a company called Bond Professional. We don't own any of it. They license some of the IP. They stock. They have exclusive territories over there. Um, and uh, we'll be making a trip over here in April, yeah. um, visit them in Switzerland and go to a concrete show in um, France. So we do get over there. And uh, You have a presence in India in, as well, And I was right? going to say in India too. Yeah. So that's another one where it's almost like a franchise model. We don't really call it that, but um, they license a lot of our IP. 
um, and they'll do some of their own fabrication and things like that too with our um, intellectual property that we've been able to kind of pass on to them. Yeah. So they um, the, they were a wholly owned company uh, up until COVID actually, and at that time. It was kind of, it, it's always been difficult to be a U.S. owner in India. It's just the culture is different. The reporting's a nightmare. Um, it's had its own challenges. So managing director, we've known him for many years. Um, we actually had another company at one point that we owned, completely unrelated to Bond Tool. And uh, he ma- managed and directed that and then also this new company for us. So um, I just made him a deal. I said, do you want to buy this from me? Yeah. And he said, absolutely. He had a young son still in university coming up and wanted to get him involved. So Build out a little team. They do that. We still treat them as like a wholly owned company or a sister company. Um, very friendly relationship with them. And they continue to flourish and promote the products. And particularly in the decorative concrete world, which takes a little bit of education and training. Mm-hmm. So they've been doing promoting a lot of that type of product in India. Yeah. So um, getting involved in, in the exporting side, I, I think a, I don't think a lot of business owners understand the resources that are available to help them make that jump. Yeah, and I know you guys have used a lot of those resources. Can you talk about a couple of those? Yeah, I'm here in the Pittsburgh area, you know, Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we have a lot of great universities that offer like small business development councils, and with that, they you know they call it like bringing bringing the world to Pittsburgh or bringing the world to PA, and they'll provide a lot of one on one type meetings. So if you're trying to get into a particular market, or even if you're in a market and looking to expand it. They'll bring in some people from, let's say, Germany, I don't know. And you can sit down, meet with them, tell them the challenges you're facing, what type of customers you're looking for, and uh, give them a work order, essentially, to help you expand and grow in those markets. And then in addition to that, they'll offer a lot of classes, you know, whether it's like Exum financing, um, harmonized code reporting, uh, how to create a commercial invoice, um, probably things I take for granted just kind of having seen it forever. Right. But, you know, if you've never done this before, obviously there's there's some challenges. And um, uh, I, I've even got some friends with some small little side businesses and things like that that have had some random orders or needs, one in Europe, one in Canada. And they've kind of come to me and said, like, how do I do this? <laughs> and I've basically said just, you know, like, here, step one, two, three, give me all this documentation, fill this right. out for me. I'll take care of it. I'll get it all shipped out for you. We can do that. And you know, we're doing it every day. Yeah. So it's something, like I said, maybe I take a little bit for granted, but um, not difficult. I don't want to scare people away. Like it's all this like really hard right. um, things to do. But like I said, it's a few steps you go through them and, and then the rest just kind of flows. And there's actually, you know, I always say grants are like the Easter bunny. Oh, <laughs> but we love the grants. Yeah, but yeah, that's one the of the few areas in small business um, that grant money is available. If you're mm-hmm. looking to expand in internationally, do trade shows, you guys have taken advantage of so many. Yeah, there's there's a number of grants available. Um, and uh, some of them, I don't even know where we learned about them to start with. But um, I think it's under a new name down. But the STEP yeah. grant yeah. Is, is the one that has always been great. And I think it's like 50% of your travel expenses. And that could be like if you're doing a trade show, if you need translations, if you're going to hire a translator, um, airfare, hotels, I'm sure there's some limitations, yeah. like can't go first right. class or whatever, but, <laughs> but they, um, that's up to $10,000, 50% of what you spent. And a lot of times, you know, if we're doing a show overseas. I mean, $10,000 for a booth. Yeah. And then you got hair, airfare, meals, right. hotels, staff, everything else that has to go with you. So we'll hit that pretty quick and, uh, nothing better than, you know, having half of the event paid for by the state. Sure. Um, and, and then another thing that they've done too, and we've participated in 
is they'll buy like a, a large exhibit area, maybe that holds 10 different companies. Um, they'll get preferred rates because of how much square footage they're buying. And then they'll like basically sublease it out to you as a Pennsylvania company. And they'll have a big thing, you know, Pennsylvania right. Exhibition right. Center, whatever. Um, and they'll arrange the travel. You guys all stay at a hotel together, get the group discounts there. They'll have shuttles. Sometimes they'll hire a shuttle driver to take you to the to the hotel and back and forth. Yeah. Um, we did that in Germany. and It was it was fantastic. I mean, they really helped us out. Well, by the way, congratulations are in order. Um, for those viewers and listeners, uh, Blantool has recently been nominated yeah. um, for the SBA Exporter of the Year Great. program on a national basis. Um, and, you know, that competition will be coming up here in the next couple months. So Yeah, so Brent Rondon, um, actually that's who introduced me to Hugo however yeah. many years ago as well. But he, he, he works at the University of Pittsburgh in their Small Business Development Council, um, Center of Entrepreneurship. Yeah. I can't remember the exact name. But he, um, he reached out actually uh, last year, and uh, I said, I'm in the midst of a cyber crisis. We had a, <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about that. Okay, yeah. And I said, can we, can, I don't want to add anything to my plate right now. So he, re he reached out again yeah. this year and said, all right, I'm ready for it now, Brent. Let's give it a try. And uh, he, he helped me a lot with you know putting the application together and different resources and uh, the essays and everything. So, um, yeah, I don't know too much about what the um, vetting process will be, but I do know it'll go to a council or some type of committee that will vote. And then from there, it'll go to like a regional level. Right. And then from there, you can get to the national level. So yeah. fingers crossed. I, I told him it would just be cool to get past the first round. Well, that would be cool for Western PA because it's not yeah, thought right, of as right. an exporting hotbed. Right, right. Crises we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously your first one was you had to take over the company relatively quickly mm -hmm. uh, when your dad passed away unexpectedly. COVID, though, for you guys, my understanding was it, it, it wasn't necessarily as damaging as it was to a lot of different types of businesses. Yeah, COVID brought a different, um, a different level of challenges to us, which weren't all necessarily bad. Um, our bricks and mortar stores, that's made up the bulk of our business, their doors were shut. So we yeah. weren't seeing a lot of sales there, but everyone was going online. And, you know, we were starting, like I said, to do more and more of this direct to consumer through. There's probably about 50 different websites we service, the Lowe's, Home Depot, yeah. Zorro's. They're the big guys, but there's a few other ones, um, names you wouldn't know, Whole Nine Yards yeah. or Carded or whatever these stores are. Um, and as we were growing that out, you know, we're used to orders that were putting multiple items in a box or on a skid and shipping it off. Now it was like one of these, one of these, two of these. Yeah. And uh, all together, the volume was great, but it was broken up into a lot of separate shipments. So it changed us a little bit. Now, it kept us very busy during COVID. We were adjusting to some of this, and it definitely kept more than kept our doors open. We saw a great, like, boom from it, honestly. Right. Um, people sitting at home shopping online. Yeah. Um, now, fast forward to today. Okay, we've got that business, plus we've got our traditional businesses come back. So, you know. It helped you diversify. Yeah, it helped yeah. us diversify a lot. Um, and, you know, it's almost two different ways that we segment how we process those orders in our in our warehouse. And um, we do have a team um, that's dedicated to supporting the e-commerce side of things, whether it be the Amazon or the MSCs, whatever. Um, and um, what we kind of, when, you know, when we're, used to, we're somewhat traditional, so we pull um, orders on paper still. Um, and it might be five page order. Um, we're pulling, you know, it might take someone you know, an hour, hopefully not an hour, but half hour to pull an order. Um, now we were looking at, you know, a hundred orders where there might be some duplication of products. So we tried to come up with better systems on more efficiencies. We weren't going and just getting one item at a time. 
um, which we were kind of used to pulling one order at a time, but now we're pulling 20, 30 orders at a right. time because it's still less items that might be on an order otherwise. So yeah, during COVID, it changed some of the way we did things. Um, like like you mentioned, though, it uh, it gave us a little shot in the arm. It gave us a nice little boost. It opened us up to some different markets that maybe we weren't as um, entrenched with. And, you know, today we get the, the luxury of both. Yeah. So came through COVID relatively well. Mm-hmm. And then you had an incident uh, in the end yeah. of 2022, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't say this is like toot my own horn or anything. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not even saying that I did it like the way it was all supposed to be done or by the book. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> take over. My dad passes away in 2017. Okay, get my feet wet. COVID comes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, look, that wasn't so bad. And then, and then bad happened. <laughs> um, so we had a um, ransomware attack. Um, our, our Came through someone clicking on an email. We've, we've determined that. Who, whatever, it doesn't matter. The um, servers were all on-prem at the time. We had some basic layers of, of backup and security, at least we thought. Um, and it was timed. It was a time thing. So we know, you know, going through the logs that they had gotten into our servers maybe a week or so before they actually activated the virus. But by doing that, they were able to dissect what server backed up which one and what did what and which one communicated with the other one. And so they created the virus to make sure the backup was infected before the other one. And, and, and there was no backup at this point. Um, so we started over. I mean, it was a reset. Um, think about it. Uh, With 8,000 eight, 8, SKUs. 8,000 SKUs in two different warehouses. Um, and then that doesn't include, you know, our manufactured items. I mean, how many nuts and bolts? Right. So when we when we make an item, there might be six components into it. Um, we call it a bomb, bill of materials. Every one of those items is inventory. How many screws, how many washers, how many this, how many that. Um, we're sitting there twiddling our thumbs. I mean, we lost visibility to all the bombs. We lost visibility to all the components in our shop, all of our finished goods in both warehouses. Um, through a number of different resources, you know, whether it be like some of the information that was on our website, um, whether it be some information that was in a backup somewhere else, we started piecing it all back together. Um, essentially, I mean, I don't think we shipped for two or three weeks a single thing. And then about six weeks, we were kind of back to like, okay, let's start invoicing again. I think we've got that under control. Um, but still a lot of that history is lost. I mean, some of the 2022 history, it's just, yeah. it's vanished. Um, Today, um, we are like more than redundantly backed up. Um, well, so. that's important because I don't think <laughs> it's like one of those deals where you don't appreciate it, the risk mitigation until it happens. To you. <laughs> honestly, I, honestly, I think I was pretty naive. I'm like, oh, we got this server and this yeah. server. And if this one goes down, we got this one that will help it. But yeah. I, you never think about how like, OK, well, once they're in here, they, 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 they understand your infrastructure and framework on how all these things talk and communicate. It wasn't just like, oh, here, let's just throw this right. out there. This was like an engineered attack. Yeah. Um, should we have paid the ransom? I don't know. Yeah. If we do pay the ransom, are they going to release the files or are they just going to ask for more money? I mean, right. obviously, we talked to the FBI and they said it's up to you guys what you want to do. Um, now, we're lucky. We don't really store any you know, personal data on anyone, credit right. cards, things like that. We don't keep any of that. So there wasn't any. So it was more of an internal Disruption. It was a complete internal disruption. Yeah. We, you know, wasn't, you know, if, if you're, you know, a healthcare provider or a school or something like that, now you've got social security numbers and all this other stuff out there that, um, you know, not too many people are happy about getting right. <laughs> lost to, to, the, to the cyber criminal world. But um, for us, it was a little different. They even got into our phones. Um, so they, we think they went through like our Outlook server. It was on its, on its own server, the email, downloaded the phone book, and there was recordings. And it would come up on my phone saying, you know, 
um, you know, Sean Hellman's calling. I go to answer it. Right. Hey, Sean. Oh, it's a recording from the cyber criminal saying I'm supposed to go onto this website and pay it. Right. And when I say they got a hold of our phones, I had to shut my phone off for like two days. I was getting like hundreds of calls a day from this cyber wow. bot or whatever you want to call it. So yeah. it was a nightmare. Um, but 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 no, nice not thing, today. Yeah. So we're on the cloud. Um, it's the Azure environment. It's backed up by some other cloud. Um, so even if right. like Microsoft were to go down, um, I mean, we might be down for a day yeah. in a worst case scenario, but probably even less than that. I mean, our, our rebuilds are like two hours. And, um, you know, we obviously are using enterprises. Um, yeah, technology that's what I was going to say. I, I mean, yeah. out, out of an unfortunate circumstance, though, you kind of deepened the relationship with the bank Absolutely, and one of yeah. our holding companies yeah. or subsidiaries. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So and I think the timing was pretty good and yeah. for both of us, because I know that uh, Chuck was just starting to get this technology group off the ground up and running. And I don't I mean, I don't know that we we're necessarily the first client for this right. group, but we were a really good case study in worst case scenario. <laughs> so they got to really rebuild us. Um, and, and like I said, it's got um, redundant backups on top of redundant backups right. and firewalls, firewalls yeah. and the, um, the CrowdStrike is the right. one I'm thinking of what it's called, whatever that whatever that type yeah. of software is, which we didn't have a lot of that in place. We just had some cookie cutter things. This is really designed to like what bond pools needs are. Right. Um, comes with a fee, obviously, but yeah. I would pay this for a hundred years and go through that again. Right. Um, and then you were mentioning grants earlier, actually. So <laughs> through uh, Catalyst Connection, which yeah. is another local, um, primarily with manufacturers, right. um, they they really helped us. Um, there's a NIST certification, which is going to be required by anyone doing business with the government. And there's level one, two, or three certifications. And uh, they knew we had a cyber attack. And when we were up and running, they said, why don't we work with you guys? It's free. It's you know just your time. Right. And they said, let's get you let's get you level one certified. And as we were going through that, it's it's a whole numbering thing, and it's right. weird. You start with like a minus score, and then you build up. Right. Um, we we were really close. We found out to being level two. So we said, okay, well, let's just go for level two. Why not? Right. And the people at Scottalex National, like, well, you guys aren't going to need that. That's for like people like selling missiles to the military. <laughs> and we said, yeah, but we're so damn close. We might as well just do it. <laughs> so we're like, you know, like I said, we went above and beyond. So we're technically we're like NIST level two certified. And, uh, and then Catalyst came to us, too, and said, hey, we might have some grant money for you guys available to help, you know, for, for some of the fees that you guys are paying. So now we're going on that road, right. too. And, you know, you said grants. So I'm like, yeah, like, we're. We're here for those. Like we'll take. Yeah. We pay enough in taxes. If we can get a little back. It sounds good to us. So, you know, got through that. Back at all systems go. Yeah. What's the future of Bond Pool look like? Future. Um, hopefully, a lot less headaches. I feel like I've accomplished a lot in my young uh, CEO career. Um, but uh, there's a lot of pessimism f around the next few years. Election years historically are bad in our industry. Um, but we're not, we're not totally drinking that Kool-Aid. So before I let you go, um, I want to talk about kind of one of you, your passions that was your dad's passion, mm -hmm. which is, yeah. you know, and we see it all the time. I mean, I always see it more so. We have a lot of machine shops that can't find good machinists, yeah. but consuming Mason, the masonry trade is the same way. Um, so you guys are trying to make a difference in helping youth get into the trades. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, um, all of it. I mean, I, I mean, I need welders. I need yeah. I need machine operators. Yeah. We got you know CNC equipment, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Too, and it's hard to find someone for those things. Um, and then also masonry, concrete, carpenters. You name it. I mean, there's not there's not a union hall out there that right. that says they can't get enough workers right now. Right. Or or, or non union. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter. It's just it's impossible. And um, 
why? I don't 100% know. I think part of it has been this big push where it's like you got to go to a four-year university or you're just like you're never going to have a job. Oh, yeah. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Um, so my dad was always very big advocator of the vocational trades. Um, we support, we were one of the founding members for, it used to be called um, VICA, and now it's Skills USA. They do a big um, competition. It's a really impressive group that they get together for maybe about 100 different disciplines from bakers to beauty, hair to masonry to clockwork. I mean, you name it, jet engine repair. And uh, they take the um, best of each state, um, so long as your school is willing and able to send you to it. Um, so masonry, um, they'll have, you know, 45 or 40 competitors. Um, and we were one of the original members on that committee. And it really just kind of helps bring out the opportunities within masonry. Uh, and, and a lot of these people that compete, I mean, you know, they could go on any job site in the world and be one of the best masons there. If you're at this level, you're, you really know yeah. what you're doing. So we've, um, my dad was always involved in that. When he passed away, we wanted to do something. We didn't know what it was going to be. We thought a scholarship made a lot of sense, but we were like, it's not really going to want to just like send a whole bunch of people to four-year schools and stuff like that. I mean, not, not that that's right. wrong, but yeah. it wasn't really his thing. So we decided that we were going to do scholarship towards uh, any kind of vocational trade in the construction-related industries. And that, that's been a little bit, you know, it's been anywhere from architecture to welding, to right. equipment operator, construction management. Some are two-year programs. Some are four-year programs. Um, so we, um, we pay... Uh, it originally started, we were, you know, oh, we'll do $1,000 a year for three yeah. years. We'll see how it goes. You know, we'll get one or two people yeah. at a time. Great support from the community. A lot of people got behind it. Um, we've doled out, I think, about $20,000 or $25,000 over the last four years. And um, we're pledged for about another 11000 right now. Our applications um, just went out in the last few weeks. Um, in April is when we'll choose. We'll probably pick three, two, two to four, call it three. New uh, new applicants in addition to the renewals, um, like I said, for three years, it's been increased to two thousand dollars per student. So we've really touched a lot of different right. people, yeah. and um, you know we'll we'll have a it's a nonprofit group. Pittsburgh North Optimus is our is our five hundred one c three that we kind of run this through. We do a golf outing in June. Um, it's it's a lot of fun as well as very charitable. So people come willing to to help us out, and um, you know we'll uh, we'll probably see three or four renewals, three or four new uh, applicants and progress them through the next few years until they get through their careers or their uh, education anyway. Neat, neat. Well, final thought, which I ask all of our guests uh, here on the podcast, yeah, what advice do you have for either expiring entrepreneurs or existing business owners looking to grow or maybe, you know, look at international as an option for a market? Yeah, Um <laughs> One thing I've always said, it, you know, it, it's it's uh, you, you got to be willing to to step out of your comfort zone, right? And for me, um, like I, I like to think of myself as the idea guy. I'll spit, I'll I'll spitball things all day long, uh, good, bad, indifferent. I don't know, but it le- might change the way someone thinks or the way someone looks at something. And uh, you know, you talk about international, like try it. What's the worst that happens? You're out in yeah. order. I mean, even yeah. if you ship something and never get paid, uh, okay, at least you tried it. Um, I'm not saying gamble the whole house on it, but you've got to be willing to make some investments. And, and, right. and like I said, you don't, don't you don't have to gamble your life savings or anything like that. But you got to be willing to take chances. You can't be afraid of that. Yeah. They're not all going to be winners, but the idea is, you know, one winner will make up for three or four losses right. um, or things that didn't pan out, and, and you know, no one to cut the cord on something that doesn't really work out as well. Well, greatly appreciate your time. Yeah, great story. 
Uh, sounds like a great future for Bond Tool. For those of you that have any uh, questions or ideas for future episodes of Inside the Vault, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. You can check us out in audio format on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Thank you for watching or listening. Mm.